Welcome to the second long form interview podcast slash vlog. Today, I'm going to be talking to Neil Gaudet. And I've been friends with Neil for quite a long time, probably about 10 plus years. And he's been an inspiration in my journey right from the beginning, um, even before I went uh, plant-based and no animal products in my diet. He, uh, he was uh, in the, the vegan world and uh, also a runner. And uh, Neil has been on quite the journey himself. So we sit down today and we talk about some of the things that uh, brought him to his journey. Uh, some of what we talk about running, we talk about diet, and uh, it's been, it was a real privilege to be able to, to sit down with, with Neil. He is a great family man, great inspiration, and a great running leader. He was the first, he was the, he got me into running basically. I mean, I, I was already inspired to run, but he was the one that pushed me over the edge and got me into actually running. And we ran together at Bedman Park for the first time and it was quite the experience. This is kind of interesting that uh, in our conversation he tells me that he was afraid that I would never come back but thankfully uh, I did and today we run together on Sundays and I have all Neil's links and social media uh, contact information in the description. Be sure to visit Neil, say hi uh, he's not on Facebook, but he is on Instagram, and it's quite the Instagram. Thanks for joining us today, and hopefully you enjoy the next hour or so. So we'll see how this goes. What could go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> what could go wrong? <laughs> yeah. So, this is awesome. This is our my second vlog of yes. uh, Invent Sean. Yeah, and I watched your first one. Did you? Yeah. It's awesome. Thanks. <laughs> I thought doing with my wife, the first one would be the, the, a good christening for the channel. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. I think I told you this, but um, the best part was were you guys talking about your relationship. I thought that was really... Um, the most interesting? No. Well, yeah. I mean, but I thought it was very human, right? Yeah. yeah. That was really good. It's actually, it was interesting because she, she talked about things that... I didn't, we had never talked about before. So it was, oh. it was really good that we sat down and we, we had that conversation. Did she surprise you? Not, not really. I mean, I think that I kind of knew it, but she cl clarified things for me. Hmm. So it was kind of cool to have that. There was a part where she talked about, she was worried that, I mean, there's an age gap between you and her. Yeah. And she was worried that you were, she was going to, you were going to leave her behind essentially. Right. I thought that was probably most people wouldn't have brought that up. And I thought that was fantastic. Yeah, well, it's, I think that that's the first time that she actually thought about that. And I, I had never even thought about that at the time. It didn't occur to you. It didn't occur to me. Yeah. Because we've never had an age issue ever. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. And it's 10 years? It's 12. 12 years, yeah. 12 years, yeah. Yeah, yeah so my wife and I is four or five years, so, yeah. And, and is Paris older or younger? She's older. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So we've known each other now for what? It, going on plus 10 years anyways. And I think... Yeah, it must be, yeah. Because it was back in the days when we used to run those photography workshops. So right. Is that when I met you? I think 
I met you. You were part of the the Harbor City Photo Photo Club, weren't you? Briefly, yeah. yeah. I think I'm, I probably <clears throat> first met you then, but when I actually started to get to know you, it was when you had the Smug Mug photo photo mm -hmm. group. That was a fun time. And so I, you know, I came to the Smug Mug group a couple times, and that's when I started to under like know you as a person. Mm. And we were both heavier back then. Yep. <laughs> Although. That's actually when I think I started losing weight was during that time. Because if you actually look at the, because I have photos, it's a photography group, right? Yeah. Um, from beginning to end of it. Yeah. And I can see like, you know, chunky Neil to skinny Neil at some mm -hmm. point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty phenomenal. I thought it was kind of funny because I remember when we, when I would go to the Smug Mug meetings, you would have cookies. Yep. Big cookies from, I don't know where oh, you got right. them from, but you had these big cookies. And yeah, you would like always Costco say, or something. we've got cookies, I'm not having any. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that, but I remember I buying them at Costco or something. Yeah, I yeah. do remember that. You were yeah. you were kind of uh, adamant, or... adamant about it, that you weren't going to have any cookies. And then every once in a while, you'd have one. Well, that was probably a lot of self-talk because, I mean, I love sweets. Right? I still <laughs> love sweets. So it was probably like more talking to myself, like, don't have any cookies. Yeah. <laughs> Which, which leads me down the road to um, your journey and what your discovery of one, you're, the way you used to eat, and now yeah. now you're you're eating vegan and you're yeah. you call yourself a vegan. Um, to people that don't know the difference, yeah, because it, people tend to know what a vegan is, right, right. So yeah, but I I, I don't really identify. And I think you brushed on this on your last thing, but yeah. and we've talked about this, but yeah. I don't really identify as a vegan and not because there's anything wrong with veganism. I, I think veganism is wonderful, um, but it, it's a loaded word that mm. uh, carries with it all kinds of baggage and yeah. that offends some people and that doesn't really suit me. But I do frequently call myself a vegan, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Same here, but like I said in my in my previous video, and what we talked about was that there's certain political things about it that just I don't like to ascribe to that. Well, I mean, I, I um, so I guess we're talking about like the political or like the the ethical or the environmental. I guess the reasons. ethical, yeah. And and I I'm definitely on board with that. Yeah. You know, and 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 I didn't. I, that's not where I started, and I can mm -hmm. talk about how I got there. Yeah. And I admire people that are doing it for ethical reasons or for environmental reasons. So I have no problem with it. It's just that there's there's a, there's a very combative way that a lot of people approach veganism, which I don't think does the movement any favors. Mm -hmm. And I find myself that change isn't created often through um, aggression, and I guess for lack of a better word, right? I think... You know, the, the best way to change cultures is to be a shining light or an example rather than, um, I guess, confrontational, right? Because right. as soon as you're confrontational, like PETA might be, for example, uh, an organization I definitely don't identify with right? Um, by throwing buckets of blood on people or, you know, calling them murderers or I think that you alienate people and there's no chance that they're ever going to change. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I kind of agree with you there. I mean, you, you see, you see examples of it all the time, like where they they go up to people, like you, you talk about, say, Greenpeace, and, and yeah. they are against fur, yeah. and they go and throw paint on people's fur coats and stuff right. like that. 
I don't know if that really ever stops somebody from wearing a fur coat. And you know, who are we? Like, I don't remember, I don't know when you stopped, but I mean, I ate animals for 39 years. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I, I did all these things for 39 years. Who am I to point my finger at anybody? Well, exactly. I mean, the day yeah. that, the day that I'm perfect is the day I can, you know, point my fingers, but <laughs> I haven't got there. <laughs> I don't know if anybody's ever been perfect. <laughs> Anyway, I, I mean, they're good people, and I, I, I empathize with what a lot of vegans are doing, and I think the movement is obviously exploding, yeah. um, and that's good. But two things, I think doing it through aggression is wrong, and um, lost my second thing already. But yeah, it's, uh, man, whatever. It'll come to me. Okay. Yeah. Um, I know that when when I first found out you were you were vegan or you know working towards that um i found that i would through facebook and mm -hmm. i saw you post a lot of vegan things on sure. facebook yeah. food and yeah. you know sayings and all this stuff totally. and yeah. early on you were heavily into saying how what you believed on facebook yeah and true i think that now i was a bit of an evangelist for a while yeah for a little while yeah. and and but yeah. you know interestingly enough now you're not. In nope. fact, you actually shy away from it. I'm not on Facebook. We're not on Facebook. <laughs> so you anymore. can't find me on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> but but even before you left Facebook, yeah. you stopped pretty much posting about veganism. Mostly, it was mostly about running. Uh, you know, um, hmm. I mean, it's no secret that I'm a I'm a vegan right. or that I'm on a plant based diet. Right. Everybody mm -hmm. that knows me knows that. Right. Uh, so I don't really feel like I need to run around telling people, but when you start something new, you get kind of excited about it. Yeah. Right. And you want to share that with everyone. Like you're seeing that right now with, uh, the big diet trend out there right now is just ketogenic diets. Right. Which one I want Every to touch on later. <laughs> okay. Well, everybody's, everybody that's on that thinks it's the best thing since sliced bread. So they're yeah. telling everybody about it and they're all excited about it and they've lost 7,000 pounds or whatever it is they've done. Right. So I went through that phase. You know, and I think uh, a lot of it's well-meaning. Like mm -hmm. you, for, when you start feeling really good and you start getting healthy, you look around you and you go, well, I want everybody to feel this way. Right. So you, you start trying to convince others. And I didn't know at the beginning that was rather futile. Like people have to be ready for their own change. But it, it's, it's, it's a natural instinct. You want to sort of jump up on a platform and say to everybody, hey, yeah. you got to try this. This whole thing, it's fantastic. The reason I actually brought it up though is because... Little did you know, I was very interested in what you were posting, yeah. but I never really responded, never talked about it, yeah. never, but I, what you said and the things you were posting about all sort of sat in the back of my brain for, right. for years because I mean, it took me, I don't know, probably five or six years of thinking about going vegan before I actually became vegan. But you changed when you were ready. I might, I mean, I might have planted a seed, and I got, I got that a lot, and I still get that. Like, I mean, I, I'm actually very humbled. I get these messages from people, sometimes just random people, mm -hmm. um, saying that they've been inspired, or they've made these changes, or they've lost all this weight, or, I mean, it's, um, I mean, nothing in the realm of what some celebrity sort of vegan people do. I'm sure, like Rich Roll or those kind of people, but um it can be pretty humbling when you get these messages and you're like wow somebody listened and they did something right but i also had the opposite right i, I essentially had people saying you know just shut up mm -hmm. right stop talking about this stuff so there was some friction as well 
Yeah. So you have to decide. Like you want to, you, I'm, again, it's no secret that I'm a vegan. So people see all the things I'm doing and they know what I'm, why, how I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. Right. So I, I, I felt like I just needed to have a softer approach about it rather, yeah. rather than just yelling about it all the time. And speaking of the softer approach, one of the things that I've noticed about you, at least in the last little bit of time that I've been, you know, been your friend and running with you, is that, like if I, I'll say, I've said to you that you've inspired me. Um, part of part of why I went vegan was was you, mm -hmm. and I get a a little bit of a deflection. Is it mm -hmm. that is like you you kind of deflect it and kind of. Mm -hmm push it away in the sense that, yeah, that that's great, but it's all about you really. Right. Yeah. It's because, and, and actually that's pretty intentional mm -hmm. um, because, uh, well, let's, let's talk about a slightly different subject. Like if I all, if I was um, really into CrossFit, mm -hmm. right. And for whatever reason you saw me doing CrossFit and you just thought that's the thing and I'm going to do CrossFit. And then you went to a CrossFit gym and you, just became this amazing CrossFit person. And you were to say to me, well, I saw you doing it and that really inspired me and thank you so much. But you still had to show up and do all the workouts. Right. And so I, I feel like, I mean, I'm flattered when people say that and I do get that a fair amount. Um, and I, and I, I mean, it is, it's super flattering, but I also recognize that I didn't do any of the work. Right. Well, true. You did all the work. Right. So um, when people do it, Look, I think, I mean, inspiration is, is cool, but inspiration doesn't work. Like we're all addicted to inspiration, right? right. But the problem with inspiration is that it rarely follows up with action. So there was something in you, even if, if I was inspiring, which is super cool, and I had mm -hmm. my own inspirations as well, mm -hmm. um, the something got you off the sofa, right? right? Just like what happened to me. And so, I mean... You can give me three percent of the credit, but you get to own ninety-seven percent of it, and that's why yeah. I, that's why I deflect back a bit. But I, I mean, but even you like on the same point, like when we go running, and you tend to try and not be like, even though you are kind of the, the guy that started the group, the running group, mm -hmm. you don't like being the so-called leader. Mm -hmm. You you want it to be just a group thing. And mm -hmm. sometimes you'll go in the back and you go, okay, mm -hmm. somebody else lead. Mm -hmm. And is that because you yeah, just and don't? Some, some people say, oh, you have a, a group you coach on Sundays. And I, yeah. I, I don't. I don't right. coach a group. I no, don't. you don't. So you're, um, you're kind of focused on make, keeping it as a group thing, I think. But, you know, that group serves me too. Yeah. Right? Like we've talked about this. Like I, um, I found that I tend to do like a longer run on Saturdays. Yeah. And then on Sundays, I need a recovery run, or I feel like I benefit from a recovery run. And I'm terrible at recovery runs. I mean, I pace them too fast. So um, originally, when I, we started this group, um, it was it was an opportunity for me to run with my wife, right? Who is whose pace is much slower, and um, so her and I would go out and run. And because she was slower, I was forced to run slower, right? right? And then we thought, well, let's invite other people because there's other people that I keep hearing from people. I want to start running, but I don't know how. And so we thought we'd invite new people. Right. And then we thought, well, maybe some people could be newer runners and come like you were when you started. Right. And some people that were maybe more experienced runners probably like me needed a recovery day. 
right? And we have a few yeah. people in the group like that as well. Yeah, so that's true. So uh, um, I guess I don't really view myself as the leader of the group. I mean, I might send out little emails and say, hey, we're meeting here, but that's yeah. about the limit of it. And I mean, happy to talk to people about running because I'll, I'll talk about running all day. But yeah, but uh, I find it interesting that there's so many people that that seem to look up to you and mm-hmm. and a, I don't know, um, in the running community, feel that you're this amazing person. <laughs> and that's where I'm talking about the, the deflection is, is that you push back on that. I do. Yeah. Um, hmm. I don't know why. No. Yeah. I mean. From an outside perception, that's how I see it. I say, like, a lot of people just adore you. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's really flattering. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not an elite runner. I'm just a guy that likes running, mm-hmm. right? And I like to spread the disease. Right? <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it changed my life for the better, not just because it was healthy, but because yeah. it was mentally healthy as well, right? Yeah. And I don't know if you're going to get into this later, but society right now is in trouble. Right. Mm -hmm. Not just because of what we eat, but because of how we're not moving and how we're not connecting and all kinds of stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, I'm not trying to be some thought leader or anything like that. There's plenty of those around, Mm -hmm. but I think that we can all have impacts in our community where we sort of gently try and encourage people to do things. Right. And running isn't everybody's drug. It's Mm -hmm. certainly mine and I know it's yours, but it has become that way. Right. But (laughs) Um, I look at it as kind of a victory, like the reward is enough for me when I see somebody out there running or doing something or like, I, I love that. Mm. Right. I don't need somebody to pat me on the back and I become awfully shy about it actually. So, yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but it was just something that I did notice and Mm -hmm. I thought it was kind of interesting. So I, I just wanted to bring it up. That's all. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, lots of people know me in the running community, yeah. but I admire lots of people in the running community too. And I'm not the fastest guy. No. I like to qualify myself as sort of above average. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, we probably should, you know, sort of go backwards a little bit and sure. talk about, you know, your journey to where we are today. Um, mm-hmm. Like we, we touched on going from regular eating down up to veganism and, you know, you losing weight. Maybe talk about a little bit. Uh, Do you want me to go like way back? Well, I don't know. Go back as far as you want to go back. You know. Well, I mean, so I think that my story is fairly typical up to a point. Like I was, you know, got married, had a kid, started to put on weight. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that you reach a point maybe in your 30s for most men or early 40s where you start to become a bit more sedentary, settled into your home life and all sorts of things start happening, right? Right. And then I, I, um, I tried a few things back then. I remember trying the Atkins diet, um, all kinds of diets, the cabbage soup diet, all kinds of things. And none of it really worked, but I, I always viewed myself as a rather thin person, but Mm -hmm. objectively I I was getting plumper and plumper and plumper, which might've been fine all, all in and of its own. Right. I mean, um, but then I also started to have some health problems, right? I got skin cancer. I was hypertensive. So that's like high blood pressure, Mm -hmm. um, I was, I had a heart arrhythmia, uh, couldn't really figure that out. And, um, I'm missing a few things, high cholesterol. I was gaining weight. So I just was feeling sort of unwell. Right. right? And I was trying to take action on it, but then, you know, the, what was available to me was medication from a family doctor, right. Yeah. Or, 
um, the diets that were out there, right? So like Atkins, for example, right? I remember buying the book and being all excited that I could eat bacon or something. So, and I was like a, like a real Alberta guy. Like we live in the West Coast of Canada now, which is sort of like the California of the United States. Okay. But, uh, you know, if you can imagine Alberta, it's sort of like the Texas of Canada, right? It's very conservative, very blue collar, usually, you know, for the most part. And, um, you know, very meat eating and ranches and cattle and all that kind of stuff. So that was like my background. And I always thought like a meal wasn't complete without a dead cow on the table. So, you know, my wife at some point had mentioned vegetarianism and I just steadfastly refused. I was like, that's ridiculous. Why would anybody do that? That's silliness. Right. And she also used to be a runner. And I thought that was rather ridiculous as well. And as I've learned, as I've grown older, wives are usually right. It just takes us a while to catch up. Right. <laughs> anyway, I, um, we made, started to make some changes. Like the first thing that we did as a family is we got rid of soda pop, which seems pretty minor. Right. Yeah. And so that was probably seven or eight years ago. And, um, you know, I was still doing all the stuff I was eating meat, uh, drinking a lot. Um, I, I used to drink fair, quite a, quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and, uh, my wife used to go away on business trips. She still does all the time. And my favorite thing to do when she'd go away was to, I would go to the grocery store and I'd buy, you know, those big McCain frozen cakes. Yes. I'd buy one of those. And then I'd buy a Philadelphia cream cheese dip, a box of ripple potato chips, um, a two liter of Pepsi. And then I'd head to the liquor vendors and I'd buy a bottle of whiskey. It sounds like about 5,000 calories. Right. And then I, <laughs> oh, and then I go, cause this is back in the VHS days. So I'd go and I'd get uh, seven movies for seven days for $7. Right. And then you get all these VHS tapes. And of course I had a small child at the time, but I'd wait until she got to bed and whatever. And then I'd stay up till two o'clock in the morning watching movies, and eating out. cake, eating <laughs> chips and drinking whiskey. Wow. Right. Uh, so that's kind of where I was at. Yeah. Right. And I don't know why people get there. I mean, I've never really sort of thought back, but I think it was just this lack of connection with like inputs in what I was doing to my body and what was happening, you know, as a result of that. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we ditched pop and then, uh, we ditched red meat next. Yeah. Decided for whatever reason, we'd heard that red meat was bad for you or something. So we just randomly, I don't think we had any basis for that. We just said no more red meat or red meat only occasionally or something. Then we went to, <clears throat> we stopped buying meat at the grocery store and we went and bought um, all of our meat at this place called Nesvogs in Nanaimo. And of course right. it's all like grass fed or whatever and organic and yada, yada, yada. So we were spending a fortune on it, but because yeah. it was so expensive, I actually think this is a great way for people to start. Like because meat was so expensive and we were never rich people, mm -hmm. we had to eat less of it. Yeah. <clears throat> Meat is actually very expensive. Right. And especially if you're buying the good stuff. Even if you're not buying the good stuff, it's, it's expensive. I, I actually haven't bought it in well, obviously years, but yeah. Um, so that was like the next step. And then, uh, really cut back on junk food for the most part. And I mean, I have, I, I have a sweet tooth. Like I really, I don't really care about a bag of potato chips. I'll, I'll eat them, but mm -hmm. it's not my thing. But if there's like an apple pie in front of me, like it's a pretty hard to resist. Right. So, uh, but we cut back and then we watched this documentary and I think this was a turning point for a lot of people. It was just so well done. It was called Forks Over Knives. Right. And it was very convincing for me. Right. And then we, as I do, because I tend to be obsessive, right. I 
watched uh, Vegucated and I watched Fat, Sick and Nearly Dead and then I started to get books because I love to read and I started to read things and I got Rich Roll's book kind of called Finding Ultra and Scott Jurek's book Eat and Run and so we decided that we were going to go vegetarian. So we were going to, and this was around beginning of December. So we were going to get through Christmas and have our turkey and all those trimmings and things like that. And then after that, after that turkey, that's it. We were going cold turkey. <laughs> and, um, we were going to go vegetarian for the month of January. And we brought our daughter into this, who at the time was maybe, I don't know, 11 or something. So we, you know, it was voluntary. She didn't have to do it. And actually I was pretty concerned. Like I, I, I was concerned that, that it was a mistake and that I didn't want her to be malnourished in some way. Right. Right. So I was soft about it with her and you know, I think one month isn't going to hurt anybody. But... but anyways, the family went vegetarian for a month. So we still ate eggs and we still ate... Uh, fish. Uh, no, not fish. Not um, fish. Dairy. 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 Okay. Uh, so we did that. And uh, at the end of the month, we all sat and had a family meeting and, and everybody was feeling great. Right? Like, well, not feeling... We were feeling better. Yeah. And we just had a conversation about it and what we were going to do. And of course, I'd been reading these books by Scott Jurek and Rich Roll, who were vegans. Mm -hmm. And I had started to run the year previous and was getting better fast. Like as it turned out, running was my sport, right? right. Like my body really liked running. So I was getting into it. And uh, I thought, well, if they can do it as a vegan, I want to try being a vegan. So I decided at the end of January, I was going to go vegan, but the girls decided they were going to go pescatarian. So they actually right. added fish into their diet Okay. and kept eating eggs. And actually, I don't know if they kept eating dairy or not. I'm just having a hard time remembering, uh, but definitely eggs and fish for sure. Right. Um, and when I got rid of dairy, it was the biggest change I'd made. I immediately felt better. It was almost like I'd had a cold for 30 years stopped having dairy and felt instantly better and right. it was within days you know i used to be the kid that drank two liters of milk a day right so yeah I, it's different for me i i grew up even when i was young mm -hmm. i couldn't i always told my mom i don't like don't like milk don't like milk so finally right. she just stopped forcing it on me and i and it's, i think it's because i was lactose intolerant to a point yeah so. well i've since become really sensitive to dairy I think my body was maybe tolerating it for years. And I don't, I mean, there, I guess there's some science that as we age, we become less and less tolerant to, to dairy. But now if I get it by accident, I actually become fairly sick. Oh, so, really? Yeah. Like, like GI sick yeah. or like yeah. throw up sick? Nope. Yeah. I'm just in the bathroom. Okay. <laughs> it's maybe a little too yeah. much information. So like lactose intolerance. Type yeah. Of thing. yeah. Yeah. And wow. It, yeah. So. That's what it used to be when, when I go to Dairy Queen. Right. Yeah. <laughs> have a peanut buster parfait. Always regretted it. Yeah. So now with like veganism for me, like dairy is an issue because I just feel unwell. Mm -hmm. um, meat is an issue because if I got it, I think I'd be genuinely distressed, mm -hmm. even though I wasn't there in the beginning. Um, eggs, if I get it, it doesn't, it wouldn't hurt me in yeah. any way, you know, and I, I wouldn't have a reaction to it. Um, and I don't find, I don't think I'd be very angry. I just, I wouldn't be happy about it, but it's, yeah. so it's one of those, eggs is one of those things that I have occasionally gotten by mistake because I do my ap utmost to avoid it. Yeah. Um, but if I do, I just don't look at it at the end of, it's not the end of the world, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I, you, you say that all the time. It's, you never can be a hundred percent. It's hard. It's I, really I think hard. The idea of the perfect vegan is, is 
It's like chasing rainbows, right? Well, yeah, yeah, I think that perfectionism in anything can be some, some somewhat negative. I think. Yeah. If you're trying, like, you can always work towards it, but yeah. if you get obsessed with being perfectionist, that can sometimes be the worse. And then the thing like you that um, I think you still eat honey. Yes. Um, I am fairly. I mean, I've looked into honey and what the problems with honey are, and um, and I I think that there's some problems with the way some beekeepers or whatever manage their their honey, and they take all of the honey, whereas they're supposed to leave a certain amount of it. And so there's yeah. some problems with honey, and and I think a lot of vegans would be very angry if they hear that I occasionally eat honey, but I do. Like if yeah. you know if so, I don't go out of my way to eat honey. No, but if I'm if I'm somewhere and there's a dessert that's vegan except it has honey, mm -hmm. I'll I'll eat it. Yeah. Right. And I do buy it occasionally. And, but if I do, I make sure it's from a local beekeeper and hopefully someone who's ethical and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's not a huge part of my diet. It's like no. less than 0.1% of it, but, uh, I don't, you know, kill myself trying to avoid it. Right. So <laughs> it's interesting. You brought up the, the, the flu for, you felt like you had flu for, you said 30 years, but actually I think on your website, you wrote 40 years, but whatever, okay, sure. this is yeah. whatever. The lo your whole life, you felt like you had the flu. Yeah. And uh, then suddenly you started to feel better. And that was, well, I was a really, I was a really, really allergic kid. Yeah. Right. I remember getting the injections to try and fight it. And I eventually became allergic to the injections. Um, I'd spend days inside the house with a washcloth on my eyes because they're watering. And, um, you know, I always had like skin issues and all kinds of stuff. And so... And that was mostly due to dairy. Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, this is in the 80s. And I mean, in the 80s, it was, you know, give you an injection and tough it out, right? Right. So... Did you? I just know that I, when I stopped dairy... I mean, when I stopped meat, I mean, I was losing weight. And it was probably beneficial to my overall heart health, right? right. But I didn't feel any different. When I stopped dairy, I almost immediately felt better, Right. So, and that's, I know that's anecdotal, mm -hmm. you know, somebody might watch your video and say, well, that's one guy, right? But I mean, you can find examples of that all over the world where people stop. I just don't think we're meant, I mean, this, you hear this trope from vegans a lot, but really it doesn't make sense that we keep breastfeeding into adulthood, right? No, it, no, it, it doesn't it make just, sense. just logically, it doesn't Even make sense. Even cows don't eat drink right. milk into adulthood. Right. So <laughs> at some point we should just let go. Yeah, right? I agree. So, um, Let's get back into running. Sure. Uh, you said in, in your journey you were you felt like your body was a good you, you ran yeah well when you first started to learn to run I think you said that you were running on the the treadmill in in the house because mm -hmm. you were you know you were didn't want to go out in public and run. No. Yeah. <laughs> I mean when I I mean I, I, I as a kid I wasn't terribly sporty. I played baseball and I I still to this day just love baseball. I love everything about it. Um, but at some point when I hit adolescence, the skill gap between me and the other boys was just enormous because mm. I I have like zero hand-eye coordination, right? Uh, so I loved the sport, but I wasn't any good at it. And uh, later in adulthood, I played hockey and I was like in a beer league recreational, you know, where everybody's bad and I was like the worst of the bad. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I enjoyed it for a while, but I was terrible. But what I found with running is that my body just naturally took to it, right? Yeah. But when I started, of course, I was heavy and uh, we'd bought a treadmill like mm -hmm. a lot of people do. And it was a wonderful clothes hanger for about six or seven years. And then I 
I don't even remember why I went out and started running on it regularly, but I did. Uh, maybe I wrote about it on the website, but I don't remember. Like right now, I'm just not recalling what, what made me do it. Okay. Um, but I remember certain milestones. Like I remember the first time I was on it for an hour, not running. You know, I'd stop for walk breaks on it and stuff, but just being yeah. on it for an hour. And I was so proud of myself, right? Um, but I was too embarrassed to go outside and run because I didn't want anybody to see me stop and walk. Oh, okay. I thought, well, like if I go out for a run and get three blocks from home, and if I have to stop and take a rest and somebody sees me, that would be embarrassing for some, in my head, right? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. So I, I, it took me, I know, I, I think I started in like May of that year. This would be 2012. And I don't think I ran outside until like July or so. Summer's around there. So. So May 2012, your first, your first uh, race was August of 2012. Mm -hmm. I know. So you moved up pretty quick. Yeah, and that's why I seem like my body took well to running. Like I, I um, it turns out that I like to, um, I like to do things on my own, which sounds antisocial, but I don't think it is because running is actually a very social sport. It's very tribal in a lot of ways, right? But, mm -hmm. um, but I'm good at um, suffering in silence, kind of thing, right? Which I think a lot of endurance athletes are. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, I I don't mind going out and exerting effort over a long period of time. Uh, by myself, it doesn't. It it appeals to me actually. So, I did. I signed up for my first ten k, and right. um, my goal was to run the entire ten kilometers without stopping. Right. And it was in August of two thousand twelve that I'd signed up for the race, and um, it wasn't until I think a week or two before the race, before I actually was able to run that distance without stopping in practice. So I was panicking, really, <laughs> that I was going to embarrass myself, right? Kind of the same thing happened with me with the, uh, the, fun, the Sun Run, the yeah. Vancouver Sun Run was my first 10K. Yeah. And um, I sort of had a goal in my head that I would run it without stopping. Yeah. I don't think I ever ran 10K without stopping until that day. That was until the, first, the day of the race. Until the day of the race. That wow. was the first time I ran 10K And you did that with your stopping. daughter. And I did that with my daughter, yeah. So I had never actually known that I was capable of doing that. And once yeah. I finished that race and I knew, okay, I can run 10K without stopping. Yeah. That was a, that was a big boost for my psyche in, in running. Yeah. I, I mean, I, it was for me too. And I, like, I didn't run it with my daughter. She would have been, uh, oh, she would have been 10, right? Yeah. Right. But, uh. They were there, yeah. and I remember. I mean, and my wife still comes to a lot of my races, and it's, it's, it always just. I I love seeing her when I'm out there. I just yeah. She I remember the the year the marathon where I qualified for Boston. She I saw her on the race course, and it was just a highlight for me. Yeah. Right? So, having them at the finish line when I finished my first race was was pretty emotional. And I did it. I did not stop and walk. That's awesome. Uh, I think I did it in 47 minutes, which actually. You know, now being a bit more of a seasoned runner, mm -hmm. that's not that bad of a time. No, that's a good time. I mean, when I showed up, I was super intimidated. Like I looked at all these people and they're wearing spandex and they look fast. And yeah, I mean, I was actually fairly thin by then. I'd lost a fair amount of weight. Right. Um, but I just didn't feel like I fit in. I was like, oh man, like, you know, but I did it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 47 minutes. Is, I mean, yeah. I think that that's, 
that's like a perfect time, especially for yeah. the first race. Right? Yeah, I my, thought it was pretty... My first 10K wasn't anywhere near that fast. Well, I, I mean, it's like I said, like I, I think some people are just inclined towards certain sports. And yeah. now, I, I mean, I, I'll, I'd be lying if I didn't say I'd, I wished I'd found running when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Right? Because I kind of wonder what I could have done with 20-year-old me, right? But um, like no regrets. Like I, I'm enjoying mm-hmm. it now, right? So, And as some people, I know some runners, they'll say like it's, it's not so much... Uh, your age, but it's how many miles you have on your legs. So my, oh. le- my legs are still pretty fresh. Right? Yeah. I've, only, I've only been using them for, what, seven years almost. So, yeah. It's interesting that you took to it. Um, for me, like even even when I first contacted you about my shoes when I was walking, yeah. and you said, uh, well, do you want to come running? And I said, yeah. not yet. I haven't lost enough weight yet because what yeah. because of my back at that time when I tried to run, right. it was hurting my back. So yeah. I, I sort of wanted to wait until I had gotten to a certain point yeah. before I could run. But even when I went running with you the first time, um, I just wasn't, it just wasn't, didn't feel natural to me. So it took a long time before I actually got to what a point What was the time was difference between when I told you invited you to come and when you came what was the time difference do you know i think it was a couple months yeah Yeah. that's pretty fast yeah it was a couple months and like we've talked about this before and i still don't really think i have a good answer for it but like what do you think was what do you think was the tipping point that made you commit to running to commit to running yeah i think it was the my daughter basically contacting me and saying do you want to run this 10k with me because that was and you said that before that even even when we were running together you said you should sign up for a race because it gives you something to work towards right so when dorian phoned me up or messaged me and said do you want to run the sun run with me that was my my goal Mm -hmm. okay i've got to train to to run this this 10k and it gave me something to work to work towards and once i completed that I think I was addicted. <laughs> well, the first time you came out with us, yeah. Well, we often went to the Bevan Participa Park, and it's a one-kilometer loop. On the outside, you couldn't complete that one-kilometer loop. No, I could right? barely. I could barely run half a kilometer. <clears throat> and I remember being very worried that you wouldn't come back. <laughs> and I still get this with new people that come out now. Like mm-hmm. we've had a couple of new people join us, and some have like really progressed, right? And yeah. we had a new person come out last week, and we haven't seen them back yet. Um, mm-hmm. but, um, I don't even know why I get worried about this stuff, but I just, I so badly want people to, um, to do well. Right. Right. So I, you know, I'm, I want to, I always try to figure out like how to get people to commit and I, I haven't really. Um, I think that's something that they have to do on their own. They do. It's not something I, that, I, that I know that's you or I can. I know that's the, the truth, but yeah. I always think if I can just smooth the waters a bit for them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you say new new people. I mean, we've we've seen people where they they are intimidated by mm. even our running group, which is really low key. Mm. I think there are certain people that come in and they're just they're they're afraid because they don't know what to expect. They don't know mm. what everybody else expects. And it, you know, once they've done it a couple of times, I think they get into the groove. But yeah, there's this illusion that you'll never be as good as the people that are there already. Yeah. Right. And we had that conversation just even Sunday um, when I when we were talking about how fast people were, and and you made you made the comment that oh this is great this is a really nice relaxing run for me 
Right. Or, and I said, well, it's still a workout for me. Right. <laughs> and you said, yeah. well, you're comparing yourself to, to people that have been running a lot longer. It's irrelevant, right? Yeah, it is irrelevant. It's totally irrelevant, yeah. Yeah. I, and I think there's value in running with people that are both slower than you and faster than you, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember latching onto a group of people that I still run with today that at the time were so vastly faster than me and um, sticking with them and for years made me stronger, you know, more hard-headed, you know, like I, because they, they're fairly ruthless people and in a good way, right? And they, if you are too slow, they just, they will leave you behind. Right. And um, that served me well at that, you know, and we wouldn't do that on Sunday because that's just not the spirit of the group. But I think yeah. that actually at that point served me tremendously as a runner because, you know, I was, uh, it pushed me to, to improve. Did you get left behind sometimes? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You had yeah. to find your own way. Yeah. Well, it was never on the trails. It was in the city. So okay. it was fine. Yeah. So you pretty much knew where you were going. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you're also did some education um, to learn to become a new, new holistic nutritionist. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yep. And what was your reasoning behind doing that? Just to learn more about the food you were eating? You know, uh, there's, there's more than one reason. One is a uh, lack of confidence about what I was doing. Like I think a lot of people, when you become a vegan, mm-hmm. so look at when you eat McDonald's every day and when you eat, you know, uh, Swiss steak or whatever, nobody ever questions your nutrition, right? You become a plant-based person and everybody wonders how you're possibly alive, <laughs> right? Yeah. Where do you get your protein from? Well, everybody's got an opinion about the way you're eating. Yeah. You know, and I decided that I wanted to know more, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you can't learn everything on YouTube, even though I know this is going to be on YouTube, but you just, you just can't, yeah. right? And I'm also a tremendously a curious and obsessive person, right? And I don't want to just hear my own opinion. Like I don't want to live in an echo chamber. I don't want to be surrounded and getting in, uh, nutrition advice from vegans, right? Because there's there's definitely going to be some confirmation bias there, right? Definitely. So when I went to the school, the nutrition school, um, it was actually very anti-vegan. You know, it was uh, there was a lot of negativity around it, and back then it was. Um, the paleo movement was still strong and the keto movement was just starting to kind of appear, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, that was all the rage, you know, cause there's always going to be a new fad diet and, right. um, you, you know, sticking your head out of the sand and saying, I'm the token vegan, you know, was risky. And I had to sort of endure a lot of the educated criticisms of what I was doing. Mm-hmm. But having said that, I was actually in the school too. And at the time I had just qualified for Boston and was about to run Boston. So I was training for it. Um, you know, I was pretty, he- I'm a healthy guy, you yeah. know. Uh, and, and I think that like within the school, people were looking at me going, well, we don't really think these vegan diets are a good thing, but this guy's pretty healthy. So maybe he's doing something right. So as much as like I was opening myself up to um, other points of view. Mm-hmm. I think I, I was also sort of in that environment and people were looking at me saying, okay, well, maybe there's something to what he's doing. Something. Right. Yeah. So, it and as mean. it turns out, uh, years later, so starting a month from now, I'm going to be going back there and teaching a sports nutrition class. Oh, awesome. So, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, they, they so had to have accepted, circle. they accepted me on some level. Right. Right. Yeah. And how long did you go to school to 
I think that's like 13 or 14 months. Okay. I think it is. It's a two-year program, but you can take like a condensed, you know, version of it. Right. So, so, that must so you do like the, the school and then you got like, I think you, they give you two months to write your case studies and all that. You do these case studies while you're doing it. Okay. Things like that. So, yeah. Which actually was the hardest part of the class. It's a tremendous amount of work doing case studies. Because so. you have to do a lot of research and writing. and Yeah. 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 And, and work with real people. And real people tend not to always want to talk about their nutrition. So you're, you know, you're trying to get your homework done and you're chasing people around saying, no, I really need to know. Did you eat your, you know? So. It's interesting you mentioned that because I saw uh, something about studies that, mm -hmm. that happen. Mm -hmm. They do a study yeah. and the, the biggest problem with studies is that the people that are on the study Lie. don't tell the truth. Yeah. <laughs> They're too embarrassed to say, yeah, no, this is what I did. You know, nutrition is like this really interesting place right now. And I, I love, I mean, I'm always reading the journals and things like that and um, watching the YouTube videos like everybody else is and listening to the podcasts and reading the books. I mean, I have mm -hmm. dozens of nutrition books and I give a lot of them away. Um, the, the field of nutrition right now is somewhat unreliable, mm -hmm. but it's also really interesting. Right. Like, and there's a lot of studies going on right now that are funded by, this is the part of the, the vlog where everyone will say we're conspiracy theorists or I am, but, but okay. I mean, they're fun, but they're funded by large corporations. Right. Yeah. And, um, and that's not always a bad thing. Right. But you don't generally see studies funded by the broccoli industry. Right. First of all, they don't have any money. Right. And second of all, it's nobody cares, but <laughs> When Nestle studies uh, does a study that says chocolate is good for you, right? You know, and I mention that because chocolate can be vegan, right? So it's not. I don't want to present like a vegan bias. All of a sudden, right. everybody's saying, "Well, I got to eat more chocolate because it's, it's got antioxidants." Right. But, you know, there's way better sources of antioxidants than chocolate, right? And or red wine, also something that can be vegan. All of a sudden, red wine's a health food, right? And you know, if you go back and actually read a lot of these studies, mm -hmm. they're you can sort of smell the industry funding pretty easily, right? Well, in and the case of chocolate, I think you need to eat 700 times what you would normally eat to get yeah. what they say is good for you. Yeah. And I mean, common sense has completely left the building. I mean, of course you can eat chocolate like I do, right? I don't really, I don't, I, I rarely ever drink um, and I don't like wine. So, I mean, I don't do it. But I mean, yeah. there'd be nothing wrong if I did enjoy a glass of red wine you know, every so often, that's fine. But to say that it's all of a sudden a health food is ridiculous. Like the cover of Time magazine says butter is back, right? That was what, two, three years ago? Right. And now all of a sudden butter is good for you. And another vegan thing that people eat all the time, coconut oil, all of a sudden that's a health food. It's not a health food, right? The science hasn't changed on it at all. No. And this is where you're gonna get 67 comments saying it's good yeah. for you and that guy's an idiot. But, uh, <laughs> you know, but we, like coconut oil is a processed food. Yeah. It's not a coconut. Like, can we all just sit down and agree that it's a processed food and that it's probably not the ideal source of nutrition for you, right? But, you know, common sense has left the building. It really has, you know. Well, so. I tweeted recently about um, the, you know, these, these vegetable broccoli cheese twists, or not cheese twists, but they're broccoli, broccoli chips. Yeah. Or vegetable chips. And there was an article that I read recently, are they any better for you than potato chips and yeah. in the end they may have a little bit more fiber yeah but you might as well be eating potato chips yeah 
And you know, like I, I like to, like I, I eat junk food, right? I'm yeah. not perfect. Some people think I'm perfect and it's amazing to see their reaction if they see me put like a potato chip in my mouth or, or really? something, right? And, uh, sometimes they'll say something, well, that's not vegan. I'm like, well, I think it is, but, uh, <laughs> what, what or, makes it not vegan? or they'll say, or they'll say something, well, I thought you were perfect. And like, I, I never pretended to be perfect. Right. Yeah. But I think that like you can have treats in your life with intention. Right. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm going to eat junk food, I'm doing it because I'm enjoying the junk food because yeah. I'm a human being and I like comfort food just like everybody else. Yeah. Right. And, but I'm not, it's not a big part of my life. Like I don't sit down every day like I used to and mm-hmm. or no, I didn't do it every day, but I, I eat a McCain cake and ripple chips and whiskey. Right. That's right. not, you know, that would be an odd thing for me to do now. Well, I mean, that kind of touches on like we've been talking about diet for a little bit, but one of the things that we mentioned last week that was important to talk about was that a diet Mm -hmm. is really a lifestyle. Uh, Like there's people, they say, well, I'm going to go on a diet. They choose to do whatever the, this, the ketogenic diet. Mm -hmm. How long are they going to do that? Are they going to do a ketogenic diet for the rest of their life? Because if they don't, well, I mean, I hope they don't No, I mean, the, the, I mean, we've been through, you know, Atkins and paleo and South beach and different versions of the ketogenic diet. I know they're all slightly different. Right. Um, the thing that really alarms me about the ketogenic diet and I, and we're starting to see this now, there's starting to be the pushback, the inevitable pushback, right? That the, the problems with the diet from health experts, um, what worries me about the ketogenic diet is, is actually not the people that go on the diet do it for six weeks and then fail and go back to eating normally. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, yes, they went on a yo-yo diet as is typical, like I did with Atkins, right? Right. Um, what really worries me about the ketogenic diet is the people that do it well. Okay. Um, because I think that their long-term health is going to suffer. And the only thing I'd say is like people, when we go on a diet and it works well for us, we become sort of evangelists of that diet. And for people right. that are on the ketogenic diet, I would just sort of say, before you run around espousing how wonderful it is and regurgitating all the things you hear from experts out there about how cholesterol isn't bad for you and saturated fat's just fine and eat as much bacon as you like, um, make sure that you know what you're talking about first mm-hmm. because you may be actually hurting people, right? And I, I, like I can go around and tell people eat broccoli and rest well at night knowing I probably haven't done them any harm. But I think we should have a practice of do no harm. And if you don't know what you're talking about and you're talking about a ketogenic diet and somebody's successful at diet and then five years from now they have a massive heart attack. Right. um, I mean, how are you going to feel about that? I I mean, so I some of these diet trends are just downright dangerous. Right. Um, And you can do it's not necessarily just a knock on the ketogenic diet because you can do a ketogenic diet as a vegan. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, these diet trends, there's another one that's going to come. I don't know what it's going to be. Right. But some people might say that veganism is a diet trend though. Yeah. And I mean, you kind of touched on this, but like, I mean, diets, look at diets don't work and everybody yeah. knows that, but we all yeah. buy the blue pill. Right. Yeah. Like, and I, I, I did lots of them. You know, I, I mean, I told you I did the cabbage soup diet. Do you know what that is? I don't really. <laughs> okay. I did the. I mean, I did all kinds of diets, right? Yeah. The grapefruit diet. I, did, I tried everything. And um, they don't work. And we all know. 
or we buy pills like uh, green tree, green tea extracts and right. all kinds of BS, really, right? The quick fix. Yeah, and all kinds of people ask me, well, what's your secret? And I mean, I'm really boring. I say, well, I just eat lots of vegetables and I exercise. And that's not sexy. So It's also not what they want to hear. Right. So, I mean, if you have a diet that says eat lots and lots of bacon, um, put, uh, run all your vegetables through uh, butter and coconut oil, mm -hmm. and uh, you're going to be good, that sounds pretty amazing. Right? Okay. Well, it doesn't to me, but no, I mean, to a lot to of people, either. it does, right? Yeah. And so it's easy to sell that. And all you have to do is just see doubt, right? You just have to say, well, the experts don't know what they're talking about. Saturated fat is just fine. Yeah. Um, you know, eat as much cholesterol as you want and yada, yada, yada. But I mean, all of this becomes anecdotal and it's easy to argue, but when you look at populations mm -hmm. like they do with the blue zones, which I know you must have heard of, right? Yeah. And the people that eat the most fruits and vegetables and whole grains and beans exercise and have a sense of community, live the longest and the healthiest. They don't just live a long time, but they live a long time healthy, meaning right. that they're not 75 years old and desperately sick and on a ton of medications, right? Mm -hmm. So what you have to do is to, in order to discern what's, what's, Am I allowed to say bullshit? Of course. <laughs> what's bullshit and what's true is yeah. you need to look around you and say, why is that person over there so vibrant? And why is that person over there yelling really loud, but they look kind of sick? Yeah. Right? And now somebody's going to put a comment down there. No, but he looks sick because he's really, really skinny. <laughs> but, but, you know, like, I think you, you have to... You have to discern who's telling you the truth mm -hmm. objectively, listen to all opinions, settle on something and turn it into a lifestyle, not a diet. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm not on a diet. No. Right. No. I've adopted a plant-based lifestyle, but that also includes running. That also includes all kinds of things like meditation and yoga and trying to, you know, be a better person and yada, 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 and failing yeah. spectacularly at a lot of it. But, um, and it's a continual growth. Right. But I don't ever feel deprived. Like, I don't ever feel like, oh, God, I can't wait until I can have bacon again. Like, it never even crosses my mind. No. Right? So. The thought of bacon makes me. Right? A little sick. <laughs> but yeah. anyways. Um, yeah. So I, I guess that that's what I wanted to talk about was the fact that it, it's not really a diet. It's, it's a lifestyle change. And, th and that's what I focused on when I was when I was losing weight was that. I wasn't going to deprive myself of eating carbs or deprive myself of eating fats or deprive myself of eating sugars. I was still going to eat what I wanted to eat. I was just going to eat a lot less of it. Right. And then decided to also just go plant-based and, you know, and eliminate the, the animal products from it and just kind of keep everything balanced because it is kind of important to have a balanced food intake. I want to say this about the ketogenic diet, and okay. I, this is part of what, how people can have an open mind. Mm -hmm. um, you can learn something from the ketogenic diet, and I learned a lot from the paleo diet as well. So like, for example, I mean, the whole, like, the whole notion of the paleo diet is absolutely ridiculous, right? Because I mean, we're still trying to figure out what they ate back then. And do we man. really want to model our diet after, after the early man who lived to the average age of 30? <clears throat> is that really the, the health that we want to live to? But but one thing they did is they tried to eat as close to nature as possible, mm -hmm. like no processed food, you know, they didn't eat dairy, right? right. So 
I mean, you can, if you're going to say one thing from the paleo movement, it's trying to eat whole foods. And I think there's that commonality, right, between a plant-based diet and the paleo movement, right? Um, and then when you look at the ketogenic diet, sure, they're trying to base 80% of their diet off of fat, right? And I mean, that's a bit obsessive, right? I mean, in any diet that says eating an apple and a banana on the same day is going to kill you is absurd, right? Yeah. How, however, um, what I think the ketogenic diet highlights is that um, fats aren't the enemy, right? So maybe we should look for whole food fats that are good for you. So yeah. um, those might be avocados or coconuts or nuts or seeds and things like that, right? So like it made me aware, it made me sort of do like an audit and say, hey, am I, am I getting enough fat? Because fats are important, right? If we yeah. don't have fats, our whole hormone system's out of whack and all kinds of stuff, right? So we need fat in our diet. So we can learn something from all these, because all these diets, they pull on a single thread of truth and then they just overblow it, right? Yeah. So it's not good for someone to f focus too much on calories or macronutrients. As soon as I hear somebody ask me what my macros are, I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Like they're, I just eat food, right? But, yeah. but I should, but you should be eating fat. Oh, you definitely, know? yeah. Um, you know, you shouldn't be avoiding whole food fats. I think some, like you say, that you don't know what your macros are, but I mean, maybe intuitively, it's it's you, that's easy for you. It's. I mean, it's probably, I'm probably like 70% carbohydrates. I'm probably... Roughly. I, I know I'm 65 because I track okay. it. Sure. I don't track it. Okay. But I mean, I did. I went through that. I went through all of the calorie tracking and all that stuff, um, but I stopped. Mm -hmm. Initially, I tracked everything because I was really, really worried that I wasn't getting enough iron, that I wasn't getting enough vitamin D, that I wasn't getting enough zinc or something, right? Right. And I, I mean, that, that's sort of the natural, like, that was part of my journey. But yeah. then I realized that I was getting enough protein because, I mean, how many times did you get asked about your protein? I don't really get asked as much I, anymore, but I, I still get asked a ton. So I realized I was getting roughly 80 to 100 grams of protein a day. That's a lot. Mm. Right? We really only need 60. Right. So, yeah, you need 0.8 per kilogram. Right. So um, and that was without trying. So I didn't have to. So I realized I didn't have to worry about this stuff. So I stopped counting. Right. And then, of course, everyone's like, don't eat carbs because it's going to make you fat. And I just look at myself and I'm like, oh, I don't understand what I'm doing wrong then because I'm not getting any fatter by eating all these carbs. Right. You know, so. Oh, yeah. I mean, I just went nuts on carbs. Mm -hmm. Well, 65. And whereas everybody said you should be low, you know, like there are diets that say it should be low carb. Yeah. But. Do you know, do you know if someone's going to obsess on anything? Yeah. And I've been seeing a little bit of this in the media lately. If you're going to obsess on any one thing that you should be eating more of, it's fiber. Yeah. Right, because almost everybody is deficient in fiber, mm -hmm. and you know, and it's because of processed food. So, I mean, if you want to be healthier, you can ignore fat, and you can ignore protein, and you can ignore carbs, and you can ignore calories. If you eat more fiber, you're going to be feel full longer after your meals. Mm -hmm. Fiber tends to live in things that are vegetable foods and fruits and whole grains, yeah. right? So, I mean, if you're looking for fiber, you're naturally going to eat a more whole foods, plant based diet. Yeah. Right. So, you know, and even if you tend to eat, let's say you're going to buy sugary cereal. I'm not saying you should, but let's say you do. Right. If you're going to buy something with 15 grams of sugar per serving, mm -hmm. buy the one with more fiber at the very least. Like if that's the one thing you pay attention to, right? Because it's going to help blunt that whole sugar spike and that whole, you know, craving of food. And yeah. So, I mean, if, if there's one thing that somebody wants to obsess on, then they should probably think about that. I think that's a, probably good advice because you're right. 
you know, if to seek fiber, you're seeking a lot more whole foods. Yeah. Because processed foods don't have as much fiber at all. Right. For sure. Um, so we've talked about running. We've talked about, you know, where, where you got, you know, in your journey. I think you, you said it that you lost about 50 pounds from your original weight before you started to do yeah. a lifestyle change? Well, I lost 55. Like, I, 55. I, I remember I went on a hockey tournament to Vegas. And I, yeah. I don't know if you can imagine a Canadian hockey team going to Las Vegas. And uh, <laughs> there was a lot of debauchery, right? And a lot of bad food and yeah. um, a lot of drinking. And, um, you know, I made some questionable choices while I was down there. <laughs> and But, you know, I... Well, I, it was Las Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> I came back and... And for whatever reason, the first thing I did is I went to the bathroom to have a shower and I went and stood on the scale. And I looked down, and I was 198 pounds, which isn't a lot. Like, I mean, I was not obese, mm -hmm. but I was chubby. I mean, I would describe myself as chubby, right? And I'd always thought that I was a thin person my whole life, but it was sort of like that was, I knew in that minute that I was, that I had reached a point where if I kept going the way I was going, pretty soon I was going to be 240 pounds or 260 pounds or whatever, right? Because I, I, I felt like that moment, for whatever reason, I don't really know why. Mm -hmm. I have no idea why. But that was the decision point for me that very morning, right? It was almost like I just went down to Vegas, got it all out of my system and said, you know, things weren't going well for me. I was having all these 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 issues. Health and issues. Health issues. And... and I mean, I, I had a, you know, I had a daughter, a preteen daughter, and I, I wanted to see her graduate high school, go to university, get married, have babies, just like everybody else does. So that was a, that was a decision for me. Yeah. And I think when I lost 55 pounds, I actually went too far. I overcorrected. And now I'm actually a little bit heavier again, and I feel much healthier. Um, but that's just finding where you're supposed to be, I think. You know, I, yeah. I, I overshot a bit. At some point, I got a little too thin. And uh, I, my wife and my mom were planning an intervention with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think if you're training for a marathon, it's easy to do. Yeah. I mean, we can talk about that for a little while because, I mean, I love sports nutrition. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think that there's this perception in the running community that the lighter, the better. Right. And, you know, whether it was a bit of orthorexia or something like that. Like, I mean, I was just so focused on being as lean and mean as I could be. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I thought, you know, the smaller I was, the faster I'd be and the yada, yada, yada. And um, at, at some point, you you're not just losing fat, you're losing muscle, you're breaking your body down and you're not recovering properly. Right. And I went too far on that. And I remember I got my very first running injury and I was about 137 pounds, which is too light for me. And, um, it took me a while after that to learn, okay, like to, to connect the dots, like that I, when all this running, all this mileage I was putting on, wasn't just, um, wasn't just reducing my body fat. It was actually, I was losing muscle. I was right. essentially atrophying. Right. So, so was this before that you started doing strength training at all, or were you just running and not doing any strength training or were you strength? Training yeah. Back then? That's part of the, the lesson too. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, after that, I started getting into yoga um, I started getting into um, strength training. I remember going to my physiotherapist and she was 
she was great. She, but mm-hmm. she did call me out on, she's saying like, you, some of your muscles just really underdeveloped, right? You're, you're really strong here, but you're really weak here. And, and so if you want to keep doing this thing that you happen to say you love so much, which is running, that you have to work on other, other things. You right. can't just run. So when did you, you got an injury when you ran Boston? Is nope. that right? Or yeah, we'll... I, I ran Boston with an injury, but my very first running injury was my hip. And that was my first attempt to do Boston. So it was my second marathon I was training for, mm-hmm. and I injured my hip. So, yeah. And then when you recovered from that, and then... Recovered from that, qualified for Boston right. in my next marathon, because I'd taken all those lessons I'd learned and trained better. And it was a phenomenal shape that year, 2015, when I qualified. I mm-hmm. kind of wish I could go back a little bit, but... Uh, yeah, I had a great year that year. I was fit. I put on maybe, I was probably more like 145 pounds, which was fine. Yeah. And um, yeah, I ran a really good race, a really good race in Vancouver. And then unfortunately in this, I don't, I, there's, I mean, I don't think it was my fault. I think it's just an accumulation of mileage. I ended up getting plantar fasciitis maybe couple months before Boston. And you ran Boston with plantar fasciitis. I did, yeah. It was a bit it's Boston, so you're gonna you're gonna run Boston <laughs> whether you have plantar fasciitis or you don't have plantar fasciitis. So yeah. It was a great, it was a wonderful experience, but I, I admit I was in pain. Yeah. When when you invited me to run, one of the reasons why you, you invited me is you said I I'm coming back from recovering from my injury, which was your mm. plantar fasciitis, mm. and you needed to keep your mileage under 10 kilometers at that point oh i don't remember that but yeah Yeah. i I remember i remember i was on a return to run program yeah yeah so me being a new runner was perfect opportunity for you to run less than 10k and run slow right (laughs) yes yeah so that That was a frustrating injury to come back from you've had a running injury yet uh yeah. yeah um i think I guess I qualify as a running injury when I say my Achilles tendon. That took a long time for me to get almost. Oh, I remember that. You did that when we were up behind the lake. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, that was that was a different injury. That oh. was that, that was a short-lived thing, though, oh, so okay. I don't really count that as an injury. Right. That was only three weeks, oh, yeah. and I was that back. That doesn't count. Yeah, yeah the, the, uh, but it was because of that injury yeah. that I hurt my Achilles tendon. Right. And that took a good four or five months to, to recover from. Right because it just took so long. But interestingly enough, um, once I researched how to fix it, and yeah. it was strength, you know, working yeah. on, on the strength of it in between runnings. You know, I've dabbled in, in and out of the gym a lot over the last maybe three years. And I have a home gym, which I like. Mm-hmm. Um, but lately I've been really into it. And I got a gym, actual gym membership and... Um, me and a few others have been going and I think it's just incredibly beneficial to runners. Like I really do. And I, and I've started to actually like it a little bit. I'm never going to be a huge guy, right? It's just not, I'm not interested in it, Yeah. you know, but, um, I think it's just good to create balance. Yeah. Well, you know, we talk about strength. You, you actually were the one that got me dedicated into doing strength training on a daily basis. And it was Pull-ups. because of, it was because of your 30 day, yeah. uh, month thing where you do the first yeah. day and then the second day and third day and by the time you get to the end of the month you're doing 30 pull-ups yeah you know i just created that out of my head right no oh yeah so i just i mean one day i thought i got i need to do more yeah well this actually came from meditation so okay. like i i i meditate but i'm terrible at it and um i just 
somebody told me that it's a victory if you just go sit on your meditation pillow and my meditation pillow is right behind you, right? Okay. Like that's all you have to do is just come, go sit on your pillow. Even if you don't meditate, that's a win, right? Okay. And so I took that to heart and that's what I did. Sometimes I literally just came downstairs, sat on my pillow and went, yeah, no, and then left. Right. Right. But I, but I, it forms a habit, right? And I thought with, because I'm such a, I was such a start and stopper with the gym. Like I would do it for a while, really, you know, three weeks or so. And yeah. I was really good about it. And then I would just stop and I wouldn't work out in the gym again for three months. And I thought, well, what if I take what I learned about meditation and put that in the gym? So how hard is it really to do one push up, one sit up, one pull up, one squat and one lunge, right? right? And that would be, and I started it on, was it September? Because you guys started in October, right? I think it was at least four months, maybe five months ago for you. Okay. Yeah. So, and then what I did is every, so that people should try this. Like this would be wonderful for people to try because it worked for me and it seems to work for you and for a couple other people we know, right? So right. then every day you add one, right? Mm -hmm. At the end of the month is hell because you're doing <laughs> 30 pull-ups, 30 push-ups, yada, yada, yada. But the third month in, it's not as hellish. It's easy now. Yeah. Well, it's not easy, but it's easy, yeah. pretty easy. And I've noticed some very functional difference, differences, right? So in my shoulders and in my back and I'm feeling stronger and, um, and it's, it takes no time. Even on day 30 or day 31, I'm one of those terrible months. Yeah. Like uh, it, it's not really any time and you, and you can break it up as much as you want. So if you want to do, you know, 10 pull-ups in the morning, 10 at lunch and 10 at night, that's fine. Right? Like I, I don't make any fuss about it. I don't make it a big deal. My pull-up bars are in the garage, which is on my way to my recycling bin. So, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes I'm just taking recycling outside and I'll stop and do my pull-ups. Right? So. And you made this up. I made it up. Okay, I didn't know you made it up. Yeah. Well, it's been very beneficial for me because it's yeah. got me into the habit of doing it. Mm -hmm. And I enjoy it. I yeah. mean, it's, but now I've gotten to a point where I think it's almost too easy and I need to get some weights. Yeah, so... I, yeah, I'm, I'm there too. Like I've been, I went and got a weighted ball. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had one in the gym anyway. So I do my squats with those or when I'm in the gym, the proper gym, I'll use a weighted ball for the squats and lunges. Yeah. I don't, I haven't added any weights for the pull-ups. I don't think I'm there yet. I think if I could do 30 pull-ups without resting, which I can't do, yeah. then I'll talk about it. But right now I can do maybe 15 pull-ups, maybe 16, 17 on a good day, mm -hmm. and then I need to rest. Yeah, I don't need weights for the pull-ups parts. Yeah. I need the weights for the lunges parts. And the yeah, well, the, the sit-ups, it's helpful yeah. to have that too. The same, yeah. the same ball, I'll do that with the sit-ups, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. the, the pull-ups I'm still working on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I, I think I can do 10 in a row without That's stopping. pretty impressive though, because yeah. when we used to run at Bevan Park, yeah. you never did the pull-ups. Well, maybe one. Maybe one. Yeah. yeah. I was still working on, yeah. you know, at home, I was still working on doing them either the, what they call the, it's the low bar. So you're, mm. you're not your whole body weight is on it. Or yeah. I was using a band. Yeah. But even then it wasn't a regular thing. So it was, it was your 30 day cool. strength thing that got me doing it. That's and that, cool. and that was what I needed because I, yeah. I knew that I needed the regular strength training. I just... I would rather run. Yeah. Well, and so would I. Yeah. But you know what I've learned about runners is that we we would prefer to run and so we don't do anything else. Yeah. And then we get injured and we're at a loss. Like, you know, like my first injury, I went and bought a bike, mm -hmm. which was great. But I mean, I, I still to this day don't love biking. Like I, I like it. It's fine. Yeah. 
but it, you know, first of all, it, it requires way too much gear. Like if you hang around a bunch of cyclists, they just talk about their Shimano this and their Altegra this, and I have no idea what they're talking about, mm-hmm. right? And um, yeah, it's biking is, it's the thing I like about biking is you feel like a little bit like a kid again. Okay. But beyond that, it's like, it doesn't seem like the same workout and it's not as mentally engaging as running, right? Uh, and I went to the pool and I got a swimming coach because I could barely swim. And mm-hmm. the swimming coach was incredibly patient and did his best with me. But uh, I never really loved swimming either. Like it was more of like I'd, I'd drive to the pool and I'd sit outside the pool and I'd be like, <sighs> and sometimes I'd go in and sometimes yeah. I'd drive away. And uh, Well, I think your tagline is uh, trying not to drown. Right. <laughs> That's your tagline. <laughs> but, you know, whatever your, your sport doesn't have to be running. Like anybody who's watching this, if they're like thinking that they're inspired by you or inspired mm-hmm. by me, like that whole inspiration thing I find is really troublesome. If they decide they're going to be a runner, um, they shouldn't unless they think it might appeal to them. Like if they're into, I don't know, squash, I don't know what it would be, right? That's what they should do. Right. It, it doesn't, it's as long as they're moving their body. Right. Yeah. Definitely moving. Yeah. You know, even if it's just walking. Yeah. 30 minutes a day. <laughs> At least. Yeah. 30 minutes isn't really that long. Yeah. I was, I was listening to, it was a podcast or the radio the other day. And this guy made this comment. And okay, we can take statistics with a grain of salt. Right. But mm-hmm. what he said was, um, Children in the United Kingdom right now are getting less time outdoors on average Mm -hmm. than people in federal federal penitentiaries in the United States. In the United States, it's mandated, I think he said it was 70 minutes a day of yard time that they get outdoors. And on average, children in the UK are spending less time than 70 minutes a day outside. And that's criminal, right? So, I mean, that would have never been tolerated when I was a child, right? It was like, here's your sandwich. Yeah. Go outside. outside and play. Right? And I'd put a sandwich literally in my pocket, mm-hmm. right? And get on my bike and spend the entire day out, right? Like, Come back before the lights turn on. Well, there's something wrong nowadays. Yeah. And, I'm, and I have a kid, so I get it. My kid doesn't do that. No. And we live in, this, we live in our boxes in front of our devices. And we, um, you know, it's just that the culture's just really, I think it's really, just really damaging. And it's also just really lonely. Like, I mean, people spend their entire lives online nowadays, right? And nobody connects anymore, so. Yeah, and I think connection is definitely important. Um, and connection with nature is really important too. Yeah. Um, you know, that's one of the reasons why I love trail running so much is like being in the trees and running through through nature. Yeah. It's just so calming to my mind. I love it. Yeah, the irony for me there is that I don't really get trail racing. I love running on the yeah. trails like I do. Yeah. And I run on the road and the trails and, you know, and, uh, but when I'm on the trails, I just kind of want to chill out. Mm-hmm. Like I just want to go for a jog and enjoy nature, like, and just relax. Oh right? yeah, definitely. And, and I've done trail races mm-hmm. and part of this could just be a lack of skill set. Like I'm not terribly good at the downhills. Like I, I'm a bit too cautious and, but, um, I also just don't see the point in racing like you're you're in the trees like chill just chill out i'll race on the road yeah you know well i wasn't really talking about the racing part of like being in yeah. nature just like just enjoying nature mm-hmm. just getting out and walking in nature it's yeah. important it's important to your brain it's important to your health at least that's what i've learned anyways mm-hmm. um you've 
have an ongoing theme mm-hmm. of the word suffering. Do I? You do. <laughs> I didn't know that. I even noticed it on your website. I was reading it through, reading through it to prepare for for our, our talk here, and okay. you, you talk about suffering and yeah, um, and you, we you when we talk about running, you talk about suffering, and you talk yeah. about how how much like I think what you mentioned was is in your head. Um, you get in your head about running and your mm-hmm. performance. And what you, where you mention suffering is, is that you have to get to a mode where it's, I'm willing to suffer. Right. Why, why is running a suffer for you? Well, I think that the first thing you have to, you have to answer is, is suffering a bad thing? Right? Like, um, like if you take everything you just said and put it in the context of suffering is bad, mm-hmm. then we've got a problem we have to address. Right. Okay. But if we, if we re- if we take the word suffering out and replace it with something like discomfort, right, then it's a good thing. Like most of our lives nowadays are lived in the utmost of comfort. Right. right. I mean, it's 2019 and we, none of us live, most of us don't live that difficult of lives. Right. I mean, other than things that happen, right? Mm-hmm. Like life happens. But one of the things that appeals to me about running is that it can be really, really hard. And um, it can put me in places that are uncomfortable. And I don't think that that's a bad thing. And, and I've spent no. a lot of time trying to figure out how to deal with, how to deal with discomfort or suffering when I'm running. Right. Right. Like inevitably, if you run a race of any length, mm-hmm. whether it's 5K or an ultra marathon, you're going to hit a point where there's, provided that you're not truly out there just lollygagging, but if you're making an effort at it, you're yeah. going to come a point that's uncomfortable. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're, you know, Kipchoge, you know, breaking the world record in the marathon, or if mm-hmm. you're Joe Sixpack running his first 10K. Right. If you're putting in, a, you're putting in an honest effort at some point during that race, yeah. you're going to have some discomfort. And I agree with you. It's totally good because you can't grow without discomfort. Right. Um, pushing yourself and and finding, you know, challenging your body past what it gets used to mm-hmm. is sometimes uncomfortable. Yeah. And you don't. Your body won't grow, and your body won't get better unless you have that. So, yeah. And I, I mean, I talk about suffering a lot because I'm fascinated with it because I'm very reluctant to suffer. And I think most of us are right. And I think as humans, um, everybody is right. And like, for example, right now, you know, I'm training for shorter races because I think like I'm getting older and my window of opportunity for running quickly is probably diminishing as I age. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, I would really like to have like a, a 10 K and a 5 K PB before I get too much older, because I think I'm, I'm not going to have too many more years to try that. And everybody yeah. else around me seems to be going longer. They're doing marathons and ultra marathons and things like that. I'm going shorter. But um, what I'm finding is that it brings that whole suffering thing back in, because in order to do what I want to do with a 10 K, mm-hmm. it's tremendously uncomfortable for me right. because I have to run at a spe- at a speed that I'm not, you know, I've been training for, Right. Train, you know, I think training diligently for, and it hasn't actually been going that well, to be honest. <laughs> but, um, but what I'm finding, like I had a test race, I have, I have a goal race actually within a few days, but I, I had a, a test race a couple weeks ago and it was just really difficult. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a lot of 
you know, sports psychology out there and a lot of things about trying to endure that discomfort, you know, and deal with it. Because I think you run into your mental barriers before you run into your physical barriers, right? And we have to be able to prepare to deal. And that helps us in life, right? Because, I mean, you know, I had some, some, we had some bad times in our family last year. My mom passed away last year and uh, we had some other family things going on. And um, I think that those trials that you put yourself into willingly help you deal with things that come up in life right yeah so i'm not afraid of suffering i'm really not like that's not true i'm afraid of suffering but i'm not afraid to learn how to deal with it okay right Uh, my daughter said something when i was running the half marathon and she said you if it's only two minutes right two minutes of pain yeah and it's over yeah Something to that effect anyways. Like if you can, you can endure two minutes of this. Yeah. And then it's another two minutes and then it's another two minutes. But, you know, I did a, I did a half marathon in October and I, I got a massive personal best at that marathon and training went really well and yada, yada, yada. But, um, I mean, I'd been reading some sports psychology books and I was, and I had all these techniques in my head. The one that really worked for me was and this is very like yogic or meditative or whatever, but is just being completely present in whatever kilometer I was in. Mm-hmm. So the entire mar- half marathon, I was, if I was on kilometer nine or on kilometer 16, I wasn't thinking about the kilometers that were to come right. or the kilometers are, I was just thinking, okay, I need to be doing, you know, a 355 pace for this kilometer. Cause that was my pace for the race. Right. right. And I don't care about what the next kilometer, right? I just need to do it for this kilometer. And then the and that, next kilometer is the same thing. Right. Yeah. And, and that's, that worked, right? Because yeah. it, it, it compartmentalized all of the suffering into little <laughs> tiny I mean, it sounds like so bad, like when you say like um, running is suffering because I think it scares people away. But I think that it's, it's also sort of, it's pretty cool that you can deal with this sort of momentary crisis to crisis to crisis. You know what I mean? Because yeah. if you're going to try and run quickly, it's, it's not, you know, it's going to feel great when you're done, but sometimes it's going to feel really awful, right? Sometimes and, it does, but yeah. it's amazing. It, when it's all over, it, it feels amazing. Yeah. It feels amazing. I also thought about, um, you know, when I was, when I was running, um, I thought about sometimes what real suffering was. Like, I mean, I... I mean, I was home in June and July back in Alberta and visiting my mom in hospice and seeing her um, die, you know, and, um, you know, that she went through, I mean, tremendous suffering. Like, I mean, I can't even imagine, you know, she was uncomfortable and she was hot and she was cold and she was in despair, you know, and um, I think that that you know, being with somebody that you really love mm-hmm. in a moment like that, I mean, makes all of the other stuff seem sort of superficial. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, and I, I did think about that during the race. Like it's, you know, like, yeah, I'm uncomfortable right now, but I'm not lying in a hospital bed. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. What about, um, going forward goals? Um, gonna have to sort of wrap this up a little bit i think we've been going on and on and on and on going on and on i hope you don't get any hate comments ah goals okay so i mean i'm continuing some education around nutrition so Mm -hmm. there's a couple of courses i want to take and one one is actually cooking i'd love to do more cooking and uh 
Um, one is around specifically plant-based diets because I've done some real, you know, special education around um, nutrition for athletes and obviously a general nutrition course. So I'm, I still want to do more of that. Right. Um, and you mentioned you're yeah. wanting to do some PBs in shorter races. So that's yeah, a goal. I want to do some PBs in shorter races. Um, you know, and I'm, like I said, it hasn't been going that well, but I'm sort of willing to fail. You know, I'm willing to just try really hard, and 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 so we'll see how it goes. I'm I'm, I've I've sort of dedicated the first half of my year to try and doing that, so that's kind of yeah. neat. Um, geez, I'd love to have. I'm feeling really good about the gym too right now, so I'd love yeah. to sort of try and make that a long term habit rather than you know what's been going on for the last three or four months, which is sort yeah. of like been a short term habit. Right. And meditation is still completely eluding me is part of a habit and i don't know if we like i think running can be very meditative i don't know yeah. if, do you find that i do yeah, yeah very much so especially on the trails but i i see value like when i go to yoga regularly and when i meditate regularly this is interesting for me because i see a value in it and i feel better i tend to get injured less often mm -hmm. i i'm in a better mood but yet i can't seem to 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 do it regularly is and it so, is it the fact that you don't feel like you're getting anywhere with it or like you don't feel like your mind is quiet do you or is it just a habit thing i don't know i really don't know i yeah. mean i i mean it's probably just like anything else right like you know like I, I, you can't i don't know how running became a habit for me but now i can't imagine not doing it right you know so Anyways, but it's it's something that I keep trying at. And so okay. it's, you asked about long-term goals. That's so that's a goal to, to make that a habit. Yeah. And I do have a blog, as you know, like a website. And I'm just really horrible about updating it. And I, yeah. I struggle with being um, too out there. Like, I mean, sometimes I want to be out there in the public and telling people, you know, what they can do to improve their health. And, and um sharing sometimes i want to and other times i would just rather nobody know who i am right so you know that's not always easy and i can't imagine because you're doing this youtube channel now so it becomes very public right yeah and you're going to run into people like i had this as a photographer for a while too like i people would run into me and know who i was and i was yeah. just like how do you know who i am right or now people run into me and you're that runner guy or you're that that vegan and sometimes it's cool and other times i just kind of wish that that they didn't know who I was. Right. So it's so, a conflict. Yeah. And so, I mean, I'd like to, to do more with that. And, uh, so you want to, you know, push that further. Yeah, I would like to, but sometimes I also don't want to. So, and your website is beyondplants.ca, right? Yeah. Beyond, mm -hmm. beyondplants.ca. So it's beyond the Canadian. If you go .com, I have no idea what that'll bring you to. Go, go well, it's the .ca. But <laughs> we'll have the link. I'll, I'll put yeah. the links to everything. I don't know yeah. if when I was when I linked to my previous one to you, I don't know if it linked to Beyond Plants or I think it not. Did. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of good content on there that I'm proud of. Um, you know, like I get into a lot of things like, you know, around the friction of how, to, how people fail at the vegan diet and things like that, right? So I think that for somebody who's new or new at running, because I've mm -hmm. sort of divided it up into food, um, fitness, and uh, then sort of a general lifestyle thing where I ran randomly talk about anything. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but I think there's some valuable stuff in there. Oh, definitely. You know? Yeah. yeah. 
One of the things that you you actually, I think I, I got up from your website. Um, it was in your about, and this is yeah. a, probably a good good finishing you know and thing is is you say life it's not the life is not i don't know if you say life but mm. i i'm going to say life is not about running it's not about being vegan it's not about losing weight or being extraordinary and a hero is what you said it's about realizing that you don't have to settle for the predictable path of being sick overweight sedentary and unhealthy hmm. so you said that mm -hmm. and I don't remember writing that, but that seems that seems like something I would say. Yeah, yeah. It, I thought it was pretty good because you know all these things that we talked about. We talked about running. We talked about diet. We talked about health. But why are we doing it? We're doing it because it's better than the alternative of sitting on the couch and being sedentary. You know. Um... I don't think a lot of people give themselves enough credit that they're worth it. You know, I, I think that a lot of times that we choose to sort of blend in and accept the fate that's given to us. And you don't have to be famous or you don't have to be rich. You don't have to be super successful. You don't have to be the best runner ever or the best squash player or whatever it is that, you know, floats your boat. But most of us are worth more than we give ourselves credit for. You know, and I, um, I came to that realization at some point, like I, I actually learned that in order to be the best father and husband and whatever I had to, um, and I'm not, by the way, <laughs> I try, but, um, but I had to do some stuff for myself. I had to be just a little bit selfish. Right. And, mm -hmm. um, just by getting off the couch and doing something you know, and taking action to try and improve my life, it made me better for other people or more available for other people in my life. Yeah. And so, more available for yourself. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, hopefully, you know, one thing I've learned, Sean, is that like, so you're an ambassador for fitness now and for health and for well-being and things, you know, I like you just okay. are, but you are, <laughs> well, you are right. Cause somebody's noticed that right. you've lost over a hundred pounds, which is tremendous and that you're running all the time. And somebody's noticed that for sure. Mm -hmm. And just like some people might've noticed me and some people notice other people, but, um, that carries with it some responsibility, but you also have to know that like, for me, there's, if, if one person goes on my webpage, just mm. any one person and reads it and says, I'm going to eat fewer donuts and I'm going to go for a walk once a day and I'm going to, you know, make some sort of improvement in my life, then that is entirely worth all of the effort of writing all those things on that blog. Right. Oh, I and agree. so your YouTube channel is, um, you know, maybe on your first video, you have 11 views. I don't even know what it was, <laughs> but it, it's, it's almost irrelevant if one person watches it mm -hmm. and eats more broccoli, right? And less cheeseburgers, right? Then that entire video effort of yours was a hundred percent worth it because that one life that you've affected is worth an immeasurable amount, right? Definitely. And we're so we're all connected. Yeah. yeah. So do we say like peace plants, like Rich Roll does at the end of his podcast? <laughs> I don't know. We could if you was want. That, was that copyright? <laughs> I imagine he has copyrighted it. And, uh, but you know, it's it, for me. Uh, it's about growth and continued growth. Mm -hmm. And if we have to suffer a little bit to get there, I guess that's good. <laughs> <laughs> good end. Good end. Thanks. Yeah.
Thank you. Yeah.